Grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Savior, who's coming again. Spiritual procrastination, that is the, the issue, the problem of sin that God confronts us with this morning in Romans chapter 13. It's putting off till tomorrow what really ought to be today. In some ways, spiritual procrastination is no different than regular old procrastination, which I am pretty adept at. Uh, maybe as I get older, I'll get even better at it, but this is something I think I've almost mastered, and maybe you have too. Putting stuff off that I don't have to do. And we'll get to the spiritual side of it in a little bit, but if you think through just regular old procrastination, whether it's cleaning your house for people coming, or doing your homework for school, or something at work, as I look at myself, what are the reasons why it's so easy to push off till tomorrow stuff I ought to do today? I find usually for myself it's one of three things. One is I usually put off the stuff that's hard. Either because I don't know what I'm doing or I think it's going to turn out badly. Why should I start something that's going to just be a mess in the end? If it's not that, then often I'll put off stuff that I just don't want to do. If part of me hates, there's some messes I don't want to clean up. Uh, there's some things that I know are just going to be, uh, and so to put the things off I don't want to do. And third reason is if it's hard and I don't want to do it, there's all kinds of other stuff in life I could prioritize first. And so there's stuff that ought to be more toward the top of the list that always seems to find its way toward the bottom, and I do everything else in life other than whatever that thing is. Uh, now, that happens with all kinds of things, but today, if you talk about spiritual procrastination, then it's not about cleaning the house or doing your homework or stuff like that. It's about the very important things that have to do with your relationship with, with God and how easy it is for us to kick those down the road, too. But rather than telling an embarrassing story about myself or about you, uh, let me tell you a story, a real-life story, about a Christian who lived way back in the time of Ambrose, the guy who wrote the hymns. Not Ambrose, but somebody he knew who lived back then, back in the 300s. Uh, there's a man named Augustine. Uh, he grew up in a family where his mom was a very devoted Christian, and she wanted Augustine to know about Christ, so she taught him Christianity as a child. His father didn't care at all about Jesus. And maybe you can guess where the story's going because the same pattern often happens today. And for those of you where it is, you are one spouse and your, other, your spouse doesn't care about Christ, but you're the one bringing your kids to church. God be with you and keep going with that. I know that can be a struggle when you've got parents who aren't on the same page when it comes to religion. That's the kind of family Augustine grew up in. His mom taught him about Jesus, his dad didn't care. So even though he knew about Christ growing up, when he became a teenager, he just said he was going to leave that behind. And in the years from his teens through his 20s, he tried a bunch of different religions, tried a lot of different stuff in life, had a living girlfriend, fathered a son with her. He was a really smart man, and so he got a pretty good education, got a very good job teaching, moved over to Italy. He had been in Africa, had a decent job there, and yet he never found what he was searching for in life. There was something that was always eating at him. 
And his mom kept praying for him, always kept trying to bring him back to Christ. There are other people too, and so Christianity was not removed from him, it's just he was not a Christian anymore. And as he thought about it and looked at what Christianity had to offer, there were things there he still wanted for himself, but the big hang-up was this. He knew that him living with this woman that he loved his wife was a problem. Because God calls us, among everything else, to sexual purity. And so in those years in his life, looking back later, he said, this is the prayer I would always pray. God, please give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> Isn't that the perfect spiritual procrastination prayer? God, please help me be more patient with my kids, but not yet. God, please help me to control my alcohol intake. Help me not to be drunk all the time, but let's wait till after deer camp is over. God, please help me to control my anger, but I'm probably going to blow up at least one more time at this person who's really, who's really getting to me. God, please help me to spend more time, just me and you, to clear room in my busy schedule and just have time to grow with you, but I think I'll get to that after Christmas because this is a really busy month coming up. I don't know if you, whether in those words or not, have prayed the spiritual procrastination prayer. God, I know there's something wrong with my life. I know that there's something else that's very good. Please give it to me, God, but not, but not yet. And why is that? Why is it with whether for Gus and sexual sin, or with anger, or with, with saying, I want God to be the one I spend time with. Why is it that those are so hard? I think it's probably some of those same reasons we procrastinate other stuff too, right? Because it's hard, and because part of me doesn't want to, and because there are other things I prioritize in life. It's hard because this is not changing somebody else. Uh, it's easy to look around and say, yeah, everybody else ought to change. But this is you. And this is me. And honestly, having your own heart change is one of the hardest things that can happen in life. In fact, the Bible says that's impossible. And if you ever find part of yourself pushing back against it, the Bible says that's to be expected too, because ever since the fall into sin... We've got this sinful nature inside that hates God, and so if you would say to your sinful nature, let's try not to be angry so much, what's your sinful nature going to say? No, I don't want that. And so there is a part of you that is going to push back and says, I don't want to do those things, and if they're hard and you don't want to do them, then there are an awful lot of other things in life that are shiny and that are new and that are easy, and you can prioritize all of those things. And so even though part of you says, yes, I know, I want to address this, all of a sudden you find that it's been another day, or another week, or month, or maybe for, you, for some of you, there's something in your mind where it's been half your lifetime where you've said, yeah, I really ought to get around to that, and yet you never do. You keep kicking the can down the road. But you've probably found and it's not just spiritual procrastination, other kinds too. Procrastination doesn't actually fix anything, does it? And it doesn't actually bring peace either. Because as you know you ought to be doing something that you're not, there's this gnawing, just restlessness inside, even as you're trying to avoid it. 
And going back to Augustine, that's what, that's what he felt. So as he's going through his 20s and as he's got this sense of something is not right, as he puts off what he knows, what he knows is right, um, there was a day, he was, when he was 31 years old, he was at a friend's house, it was an August afternoon. And he actually had a copy of the Bible open at his friend's house, he was reading through it. Again, he knew there was something there, but he was not a Christian. He, he's reading through the Bible, but this restlessness inside him just reaches a point where he needs some fresh air and says he's going to go in the backyard and just walk around a bit. And when he's back in the backyard, he breaks down, and looking back later, he didn't know if he was just hearing it, or if there are kids playing over the fence in the next yard, or what it was, but he was sure he heard some kids saying, take and read, take and read, take and read, like it was some sing-song child's game, even though he'd never heard of that game before. And so he heard those words and said, I'm going to go back inside and read whatever Bible passage is open there in my Bible. So he goes back inside, opens the Bible, and guess what passage of the Bible is in front of him? Not John 3.16 or something like that. It happens to be Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, which is the, the passage we've got in front of us this morning. So if you're not there already, turn back to page 8 and look through the words that he read. So we picked up at 11 and 12 because that's the fuller, the fuller picture, but if you'd start reading at verse 13, look at what was in God's word for him, for Augustine, as he, as he read it that day. The Apostle Paul makes a list of sins. It's not a complete list. He picks six things and pairs them up. So it's three sets of two. Each of the sets is related. It's not complete. What it is, is Paul focuses on sins here that are habitual. Some things you fall into them once and then you move on and it's not something that dogs you. But there are some sins in life that, that become habits over a lifetime. That's what these are. And if the bigger picture, Paul talks about things in the night versus the day, and he picks sins that in general happen more after the sun goes down and before it comes up. So, you see in those, verse 13, what's on the list that Paul makes here of sins? You see... First pair is... Orgies and drunkenness, it's not that having a turkey with your family for Thanksgiving is wrong, but there's a whole lifestyle where it is, I am going to just eat as much and drink as much as I want. Who cares if I get drunk? Who cares what I put into my body? I just want to feel good. Uh, that is the first pair. Second pair is sexual immorality and debauchery. That's what hit Augustine on the head because that was the thing he'd been procrastinating with was his sexual sin. Uh, third pair is dissension and jealousy, sins inside that destroy relationships with other people, and as every sin are also between us, us and God. And Paul's encouragement is to say it's time to put those sins away. Enough of going day after day saying someday I'll deal with these kind of things, Paul says now is the time. It's not time to procrastinate any longer. Instead, if you go back to the first word that says and do this, if you look back before this, there's a section about how the word love sums up everything God is looking for from us. 
love the people around you is what God asks of us as his children. Now the hard part is not usually knowing what needs to change. It's the strength and the motivation to actually do it. And so as I look out at you today, I don't know each of you personally. I don't know each of your hearts. I don't know what the thing is that you have been procrastinating on spiritually. My guess is I don't have to tell you because you probably already know. Just like Augustine already knew what his sin was that he refused to give up, you might already know in your heart the thing that you've held on to even though you've known for a long time it's time to go. The bigger question then is how in the world do you get over the spiritual procrastination and actually address it? And that's what the rest of Romans 13, 11 to 14 is about. So the list of sins is in verse 13, but if you look at 11, 12, and 14, what reasons does Paul give as far as why now is the time to address that? Verse 11 is the clock ticking, which is the classic, what's the problem with procrastination? You're ignoring the fact that time moves on and you can't just ignore things forever. And yet the whole clock ticking, that can be either something you dread or something that really excites you. For me personally, often with procrastination, the clock is something I dread because it means there's a deadline coming up and the only reason I get something done is because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't meet the deadline. I don't know how much you're like that too. And I think a lot of people spiritually think the same way. I'd better shape up my life or else when the clock runs out, there's going to be something horrible at the end. But that's not what Paul says here. What does Paul say is coming closer and closer and closer so that it is closer now than when you first believe? And honestly, it's closer than when I started the sermon. What is it that's coming? The word is... You see it there? What is getting nearer and nearer? It is our... Our salvation. Not our judgment. Even though I think a lot of people would put the word judgment in there. Paul says what is coming nearer and nearer is the salvation and the eternity we have with God in heaven. Because that's already, that's already completed. Jesus Christ died for you and me. He took our sins away and He rose from the dead. And so what you and I through faith are looking forward to is not standing before God and having to answer for all our sins because they have been forgiven in Christ. What we are looking forward to is the day of our salvation. And so I'd hope that would change the whole clock ticking from something you dread into something that's more like a kid looking ahead to Christmas. My boys woke up this morning, they had the day wrong, they thought it was 25 days away, and they were excited to find out it's only 24 days away to Christmas. I don't know how many of you have the countdown going to Christmas already, but how about the countdown to the day when Jesus comes back to take us to heaven? That kind of excitement makes you actually want to go and get ready for Christmas rather than putting it off, right? And so Paul keeps going. So verse 11 is our salvation is coming nearer. Now verse 12, Paul pictures it then as we are living in the darkness and the night. When our salvation comes, that will be the day dawning. And even though we don't know when the day is, the Bible says we're always living just before Jesus' return. 
Bible doesn't say to sit back and say Jesus will be coming in forever. It says Jesus could come today. He could come tomorrow. We are always living in that little sliver of time just before the sun rises. And so Paul says because we're looking forward to our salvation, it's time to wake up. Let's not sleep in today. Let's get up at the crack of dawn because Jesus is here. And if Jesus is here, the next picture Paul uses is, that means you take off the clothes you wear at night and you put on the clothes you wear during the day. I don't know what they would have worn for pajamas back then. Um, but today, isn't this true? I didn't sleep in my shirt and tie last night. I don't know what you think of pastors, but I don't, I don't sleep in my shirt and tie. I've got pajamas I wear at night, and then I get up in the morning, and I get changed. Paul says... There's a clothing that goes with the darkness, and there's a clothing that goes with the light. And if you'd read through the picture, what is it that fits with the darkness? That is those six sins he lists, and anything else that's on your list of things you know that are wrong. Paul says, the night's almost over, the day is coming, so... Take off the nighttime deeds of darkness. Take off those clothes and put on the armor of light. So if you're following the metaphor, it's not get on your Sunday best. It's get ready for war. The word armor is not just the defensive kind of stuff. It's all the military gear a soldier would have put on. So at nighttime, maybe, yeah, you put down your shield and your sword because you're not going to sleep with those on. But as the day dawns, you put on the armor and get ready to fight because Paul says that in Christ Jesus, we are on the side of the light. We are looking forward to the light. We are not in the darkness. Take off the deeds of darkness. Put on the light. And then, verse 14, in other words, put on what? So what is the spiritual armor that we wear? section of person. Paul says, put on Jesus. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses that picture elsewhere too, in two senses. When you were baptized and brought into God's family, Galatians chapter 3 says, you not only became a child of God, you were clothed with Christ. And so you are part of that great group already in heaven, many of them, some of them here on earth too, who are called the saints. That in Christ Jesus, your sins have been washed away, you are wearing white, so that when God looks at you, he sees you clothed in Jesus and his holiness. Here Paul says, it goes a step further. It's not only that you have this holiness before God, which is true, Paul says that Jesus and his holiness are the armor that you can wear now as you go out every day to fight against whatever sin would take over your life. On the list of reasons why it's so easy to procrastinate is our sinful nature, right? And Paul addresses that in the last line. When you are wearing Jesus Christ and his holiness and his righteousness, that is when you will have the strength to fight against your sinful nature. You and I are not strong enough on our own, and yet with Christ Jesus clothing us with his righteousness, we get up in the morning and put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light.
So, going back to Augustine, this passage was the breakthrough in his life. Not that he hadn't heard other things too. It was years and years of hearing sermons. Remember that guy named Ambrose? Augustine was in his city and heard him preach. And so week after week he'd been going to church even though he would not say he was a Christian. He'd been listening to Ambrose. He had heard his mother as a kid. And then this passage was the thing that was a turning point in his life. Fast forward to the next spring, they would have all their baptisms be on the night before Easter, Easter Vigil, which we still connect to today even though we don't wait with our baptisms till then. And on Easter Vigil in 397, Augustine and his son were baptized by that guy Ambrose who wrote the hymn. And Augustine said, I've been putting this off long enough, he had to address the issue with this woman he'd been living with. And he thought through whether he'd get married, in the end he decided he was going to stay single. And he and his son moved back to Africa where he'd grown up as a kid. He found ways to clear out his schedule. He had enough money that he didn't have to work full time. And he studied the Bible in a way he hadn't before. Ended up becoming a pastor. They asked him to become the leader of the church in that African area. Started writing. And because of his university education and his training, he was able to write things. And his experience with God's grace he was able to write things where if I would make a list of the people who have influenced the Christian church the most, he would probably, for sure in the top ten, maybe even in the top three. Example of someone who by God's grace was changed, where he did not put that off forever. So, looking at you and me today, is Romans chapter 13 going to be the verse that is a breakthrough in your life or my life? I don't know that it will be the same way it was for Augustine, but perhaps it will. My prayer is that as you are in God's Word, that God would shape you and shape me in ways where we could never change ourselves. And that by little by little, or maybe all at once one day, there's something that God will say to you that will all of a sudden bring it all together. And that rather than longing for the things that are part of the darkness you would put that away and put on the light. That rather than putting off and procrastinating on the things that you know are good, to embrace them and to live as God's child as you get ready for the day when He returns in glory to take you to heaven. That is what we emphasize as a church during Advent. Christ Jesus is coming and it's time for us to get ready. So like Paul says here, It's time to take off the deeds of darkness because the night's over, the day is coming. It's time for us to put on Christ. Amen.